0: You're listening to the College Info Geek Podcast, where it's all about learning more, paying off your student debt, landing your dream job, and being awesome at college. Now, here's your host, Thomas Frank.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Thomas Frank and welcome back to the College Info Geek Podcast. This is episode 40 and if, like most students, you're hoping to get a job after you graduate, then you're definitely going to want to listen to this episode. So if you have seen my list of essential books for students on the website, you'll know there's a book there called Confessions of a Recruiting Director. And I found this book as a freshman in my university library. I read it and it was probably the best resource I found early on in my college career for learning the technical nitty-gritty details of the job hunting process. So the book taught me how to write my resume better, how to structure a cover letter and make it interesting, the importance of sending thank you letters to people in the interview process, all sorts of interesting details that really helped me to be a better job seeker. And they really helped me to get lots of internship interview requests and eventually to get the internship that I did. So if you're interested in learning those things, then uh, this episode is going to be very interesting to you because I'm interviewing the author of that book, Brad Karsh. So Brad is the author of that book. He's also the author of a new book called Manager 3.0, which is a book about millennial managers and is helpful to read if you're looking to learn the soft skills that newer managers are going to be looking for in new hires going forward. And uh, overall, this interview is going to be a lot of help to you in your own job hunting process. So look forward to that. But first, hey, if you've got questions about college, maybe it's about the interview process, maybe it's about finding a job, or maybe it's about studying or managing your money. Whatever you want to know, email it to me. I'm at thomas@collegeinfogeek.com. My roommate Martin and my girlfriend and I do a monthly Q&A session, so we tackle five of those reader questions every single month. And if you want to get your questions answered, then all you got to do is send them over. I also try to personally answer them when I can. So Uh, Send them to me via email or you can send them to me on Twitter. I'm at Tom, frankly over there either way. Um, Send your questions over, and if you want to get the show notes for this episode, you can find them over at CIGpodcast.com. You can either listen to the episode on the brand new podcast player I've got there, or find the episode 40 link, where you can find links, you can find the tools we mentioned, you can find links to subscribe to the show if you want, and all sorts of other stuff. So let's get into this episode with Brad and learn how to become better job seekers. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so... This is the 40th episode of my podcast, and it's funny that I haven't had you on the show yet because you're the person that really solidified my understanding of the details involved in getting a job, uh, whether it be the the resume writing or the thank you notes or the uh, networking techniques. And when I was a sophomore in college, we had to go through a class and we watched a few of your videos, and I read your book on a whim from that and realized why didn't they uh, have everyone read this book in the class? Why didn't they force them? Because your book is fantastic. And the sort of tagline in your book is the man who read uh, 10,000 resumes. So what's the story behind reading 10,000 resumes?
0: Sure. So my old job was I worked at a big ad agency in Chicago called Leo Burnett. And we used to hire hundreds of college students a year. And my job was as recruiting director to go out and interview all those college students, to read the resumes, to interview the students. So as a result, I read easily more than 10,000 Resumes, I interviewed over 1,000 college students. So as I like to tell people, I have literally seen it all and literally
1: heard it all throughout my career. Wow. So you guys hired hundreds of people a year? Does yeah, probably,
0: a probably close to about 100 a year. Some, some years a little bit more, some years a little bit less. But probably on average about 100 a year straight out of college.
1: Okay. So um, the first step in your book uh, pertaining to resumes is that it has to pass this so-called 15-second test. So what is a 15-second test, and what does that mean for somebody writing a resume?
0: Sure. You know, one of the things we forget, so when you're a student and you're writing a resume, and you you hopefully are pouring over that resume, you're living, you're dying that resume, you're, you're angling over every single word, all things that you should be doing. But a lot of times, I think the person reading it's going to do the same. Here's the deal. When we used to post a job we would get, for one job, four or five hundred resumes. And there's absolutely no way that a recruiting director on the first try of reading a resume is going to read every single word of every single resume. It just takes too long. And I equate it to kind of a magazine, right? When you're flipping through a magazine or you're flipping through a a magazine, you see ads. If I told you to, to read every single ad and pick up 10 ads for products you'd like, you wouldn't read every word, Of every ad, you'd probably just skim over, you'd see a couple things that caught your fancy, and then maybe spend a little bit more time on that. That's exactly what it's like on a resume. If you're lucky, the person reading it, the first time they read it, is going to spend about 15 seconds. More often, they're going to probably spend about 5 to 10 seconds and decide if you're in the yes pile or the no pile.
1: Interesting. So what sort of uh, considerations does that put on the layout of your resume? Should you put like your work before your education, or do you as a resume... Uh, read or know to look at specific sections no matter where they are.
0: So one of the things that I highly recommend is that people put the most important information first, top to bottom, left to right. We read resumes the same way you read a book, a magazine, whatever. We start at the top, it catches our attention, we keep going. If not, we move on. So for a student, it's a little different for a professional, but for a student, you want to start obviously with your basic information at the top, your name. You know your address, your email address, phone number, that kind of stuff, and then the first section should be your education. The second section should be experience. But here's what's important: within that experience section, you want to make sure that you list the information from most to least important, top to bottom. For instance, I remember reading resumes, and it would say something like this: you know, summer 2014, waitress, Olive Garden. You know, assisted food and beverages with with uh you know assisted beverage uh assisted customers (laughs) with food and beverage purchases and then below that there'd be a second entry that would say summer in 2013 intern procter and gamble corporation and and of those two jobs which is more important to me obviously the procter gamble job but students would list it second because they were sort of obsessed with putting the resume in reverse chronological order. So my advice Mm -hmm. as a student is it doesn't have to be in reverse chronological order. It should be in order from most to least
1: important. Right. So uh, when you get down to the actual duties that you did, you mentioned like assisted with uh, beverages. What do students want to emphasize when they're listing their duties?
0: Yeah. And this this I would say is, you know, when I read resumes – 99 out of 100 of them were either bad or unreadable or weren't as good as they could have been. And this is where the biggest opportunity comes to make your resume shine. Most students, most people, but most students especially write what I call job description resumes. So they describe not only what they did, but they describe what anyone has ever done in the whole history of that profession. So they might say something like sales associate at the Gap and the first bullet point will say assisted customers with purchases. Well, I would argue that every sales associate in the history of the retail system that goes back, you know, 10,000 years, whatever, has assisted customers with purchase. Right. I, yeah. I right. want an accomplishment resume. What recruiting directors want to see is an accomplishment resume. So here we're writing not just what you did and everyone else did, but what did you do that was special, that was unique, that made you stood out? What would you of? What could you do on your resume that nobody else can claim? And that's where accomplishments come in. Accomplishments come in two forms. They come in form of scope and results. Scope means how much, how often, how frequently, how many. And results means doing something for the first time ever or be recognized for something that you have done. If you're tracking with me, it's all about numbers, numbers, and more numbers. Mm. So I'll redo that scenario. Instead of saying gap, assisted customers with purchases, you could do it a bunch of different ways. You could say assisted more than 500 customers with purchases totaling $100,000. That's great. Or ranked third out of 17 sales associates in September sales. Or won an award for being the most outstanding salesperson this month or selected to train other sales associates or help store achieve third place ranking out of 50 stores in the Midwest region. Whatever those things are, but you want to try and make it as specific and as accomplishment focused as you can.
1: Okay. So here's a question I get often from students. Um, You have a job and you have your typical responsibilities and maybe your accomplishment was just one tiny thing you did on one certain week. Like on my resume, uh, I was a web developer at one part on campus, a department. Uh, And during one week, they were like, we don't have any web work for you to do. But we have all these students going through these 80 page Word documents, formatting them. And it's taking them three hours. Can you do anything to help? And then I made a Word macro that went and did the entire process in two minutes. And it saved the company like 240 hours of work. But that was just one week. So as a recruiter, would you rather see that one little one-off accomplishment on a resume, even though it's not something I did uh, week to week?
0: Yeah, that's a great example. Thanks for bringing it up. So that absolutely would be one of your bullet points. And what you would say is, Invented School's first ever web macro program, saving 240 hours a week for the organization. It's like, wow, that's awesome. But then, as a web developer, what I might also say is, and I used to help students write the resumes, so I, I'd ask questions like, all right, so you were a web developer. How many websites did you develop? What types of things did you do for the websites? What did what you do that was different or unique? So even if you didn't have any, quote, unquote, Really cool accomplishments, and that thing you described to me was cool. I might say, you know, worked on, I'm, I'll make this all up so it won't make sense, but you know, yeah. worked on 17 different websites, you know, coding, blah, 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 Numbers, 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 numbers.
1: Okay. So even if you're in a, a role where you're more maintenance and you're not creating things or working out a ton of different projects, you can find specific pieces of data that are quantifiable. Exactly. People
0: will be like, Brad, all I did all summer was file. I'll say, okay. How many documents did you file? Where did you file them? Did you ever upgrade or update the filing system that they had? And if they're like, I don't know, I, I, don't know, I filed I, I filed 50 things a day. I mean, it was so boring. I'm like, okay, how many days a week do you work? Five. Right, how many weeks do work? Ten. Filed more than 2,500 documents. And, and okay. again, I know it's not like, wow, but still at least it, it, it gives a little texture to it. And then... What else was that a part of, you know, it helped update a filing system or created this new filing system? So you, even those basic points, quantify them. they're always going to sound better.
1: OK, so what I'm kind of getting from this is that even if you as a student, you know, you're paying your dues and you're in these more boring, mundane jobs, you can find ways to sort of spin it a little bit to where you can get data out of your your boring work, quote unquote.
0: Yeah, let's say you had a campus job, right? So not everyone, we know not everyone in school has a campus job. So first of all, the fact that you had a campus job is cool. Let's say you work 12, 15 hours a week. One of your bullet points could be work 15 hours a week while maintaining a full course load. Mm. So then if I look at your GPA and it's not as good as it should be, I might be like, well, the dude was working 15 hours a week. That right. helps explain it.
1: That's a good question. Actually, I had a, my roommate just asked me the other day, like, I was in engineering, I didn't do so well. I switched to business, now I'm doing fantastic, but my GPA is not, you know, amazing because I've only been in business a couple of years. What do I do about my GPA on my resume? And how can I explain on a resume that I'm doing things outside of class and my GPA doesn't matter so much? Yeah. So a
0: couple things you could do. One, especially in the instance of your roommate, you can list your GPA a couple different ways. You can not put it on at all. But if it's not on there, we assume it's pretty bad. Mm. Uh, The general rule of thumb is, and it'll vary by industry or business or even companies, if it's 3.2 or above, leave it on your resume. Okay. But in the very specific instance of your roommate, what I would do is I would would have him on his resume write business GPA 3.6. Right. Okay. Let's say slash 4.0. Let's say his engineering GPA was a 2.5 because engineering is hard. You can just list your major GPA. You have to make sure you tell people that it's just your major GPA, but you could do that too.
1: Mm. So do you have a little leeway with the way you define your GPA? Because at least for our school, the uh, the career counselors have said GPA or major GPA, which is only the classes within your major that have that specific moniker, like MIS for MIS majors or marketing but there's also business classes. You have a core business education. So, would you, as a recruiter, look at uh, a resume and if I had my business classes factored into that GPA along with the MIS classes, would you accept that?
0: I think you probably wouldn't want to do that because if I see major GPA, I assume it's just within your major. Okay. So keep it on the up and up, and that's you know that's a that's a good little rule of thumb for everybody. You don't go more than a month or two months without hearing some story about some CEO or some senior level person who got fired from their job because they found out they lied on their resume. Mm. And they might have lied 5, 10, 15, 20 years earlier. So people will say that they graduated from a college, even though they didn't totally graduate, they were just a creditor too short. People find that stuff out, they get fired. A couple years ago, the CEO of Radio Shack was fired. The head coach at Notre Dame was going to be George O'Leary back a few years ago, but they found out he lied on his resume. Four days after they hired him, they fired him. He ended up at University of Central Florida. Um, the career, one of the career center directors at MIT, they find out, uh, lie. I mean, it's just you can't do it. And what happens is people starve on their students, mm. meaning that's usually when they're like, ah, so I'm two credits short. I'm definitely going to get those credits. I'll just say that I graduated. Right. Well, all of a sudden you get a job, and then you you go to your next job. Are you going to go back to your resume and say like, "Just kidding, didn't really graduate"? Now, no, you end up just keeping it on there, and then they find that stuff out years later, and you're busted.
1: Gotcha. Okay, that's interesting. So it's all about staying, you know, in the realm where you're still being honest, but trying to put your best foot forward and to make the data seem as interesting as possible on like a yeah. two second like halo effect basis.
0: Right. You're you're trying to make the best of what you've done. You can't make stuff up, but it's always, but there's always, you can make it sound a lot better than it is, right? Instead of like right. file documents, file 2,500
1: documents. Okay. So i got two cases with resumes that I get asked about a lot. Uh, I'll start with the first one because it's probably easy. So, uh, you know, I get an email from a freshman and they're like, I want to get an internship, but I haven't done any work yet. Like I've never had a job. And my resume is basically going to be blank other than my education. What do I do? Like, do I just hand in a half blank piece of paper or what can I put on there to make myself look better?
0: Yeah. So the first section of your resume is education. The second is experience, not necessarily work experience, but experience. And even if you haven't worked, there are a lot of people who've done a lot of things that are important experiences that may not be qualified as jobs. So leadership positions you've held extracurriculars you've been involved in class projects that you've done things like that can all fall onto the experience section so let's say for that freshman he's going to be writing stuff that he did in high school on there so let's say for that freshman he was you know vice president of national honor society or he was captain of the football team or he held some kind of volunteer position those can all go in your resume under experience and you could write a couple bullet points like and, and same theory. What did you do as vice president of Honor Society? You know, created a new give back day that helped amass more than 1,000 community service hours from our high school.
1: Okay. So,
0: yeah, all that stuff works for experience too, even if you haven't had jobs.
1: So it's all about finding that data, even if it's not something you were paid for. Right.
0: Just because you didn't get paid to do it. And again, I'll give an example. So you have to think about what's most relevant to the person reading your resume. And a lot of resumes that I would read, it would say, like, education. Then the second thing would say work experience. And I was reading this resume of this woman. She was a senior in college. And it said work experience. And it said babysitter for the Johnson family, sales associate, at in a republic, you know, waitress at Applebee's. And I was about to throw her resume out at 500, and that wasn't going to make it. And then at the very bottom of her resume, it said other experience. And the first bullet point said president. Student body, University of Michigan. <laughs> well, of That's all a- those things that woman had done, the yeah. most relevant one to me is that she's president of one of the largest student bodies in in the nation. What a cool job! It's buried at the bottom of her resume. And her mind wasn't a job; doesn't go into work experience. That's mm. why I say it should say experience. It can mm. include jobs. It can include internships. It can include. Leadership positions, meaningful extracurriculars, as well as semester or year-long class projects you've done that may replicate something you'd want to do in the, in the working world. Put them all in there in order from most to least important.
1: That's interesting that you say class projects. I've never heard that tip given, but that makes a lot of sense. One of my classes was literally just a project where we worked for a company. You, you know, found a exactly. company and you, you found a client and did something for them. But I would have never thought exactly. to put that on my resume as a separate project.
0: It should be, you know, so I, I, again, I worked with a lot of people who majored in advertising and they would do the same thing, right? So they would get an assignment at the beginning of the semester and they would have to do actual real advertising for a real client. They might not get paid, but the school might get paid and they're, they're doing the same thing you do in the real world. Again, they wouldn't even put it on the resume or they'd bury it at the bottom. Bam! that could be the first thing on your resume because now if I'm interviewing you, I want to know what that was all about and what you did because that's so cool.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And I like what you said about the the girl who was the student body president. Cause I think yeah. I knew the student body president at Iowa state and that was like 20 hour a week job or more. You're not getting paid for it, but that's, that's some heavy experience.
0: Absolutely.
1: So, um, I'm going to use a heavy handed transition here. Speaking of, he- of heavy experiences, what if, uh, you're in the other boat where your resume is like super long, like you're a success robot and you've been doing everything in college and, uh, You know, you get the typical advice to put what's relevant on a resume, but maybe you've got a lot of positions that have built up your soft skills, like you had one where you you spoke publicly a lot, or you wrote for the paper along with positions, and it goes beyond one page. Is that acceptable, or what do you do to pare it down?
0: Unacceptable. So, as a student, I don't care how smart, bright, talented, accomplished, amazing you are, you must get it onto one page. Mm -hmm. If someone's only spending 5, 10, 15 seconds looking at it, they can't read two pages. And I have met tons of people who are super accomplished, and I love that. I love that. What's most important? If you go back to my original analogy, I talked about how your resume is kind of like an ad for you, right? Like you flip through a magazine. When you read an ad in a newspaper, when you read – nobody reads newspapers, excuse me. When, you, <laughs> when uh, you, you read an ad in a magazine, and I don't know no one reads magazines either, but it's easier analogy. When you see an ad online – do they tell you every single thing about the product, or do they just tell you enough so that you buy it? Right. right? You see an ad for a car. Does it say, here's where it was built, here's why it was built, here's what the composition of the steering wheel is, here's what the composition of the tires are, here's why the – no, they say, all this luxury for under 40000 Yeah. So your resume has to be the same way. Pick and choose. What are the – Five things, five major, most important accomplishments that you had, write about them in a meaningful way in your experience section. You have, you can have some room for extracurriculars towards the bottom, but just pluck out the most important things, not to you, but to the person reading it. That's going to be important.
1: You got to think about what the person reading it is going to think. It's kind of like writing headlines, actually. You're exactly. not going to write a 2,000-word article, but on Facebook, people are only going to see the headline. Exactly. Which is good. So uh, – you know, ads, they, they use taglines like that or they also use storytelling. And I think storytelling is a thing that you would do in the cover letter. So you get this resume and a lot of the cover letters I've read from friends have been like a rehash of the resume. How do you avoid doing that? And how can you make a cover letter interesting and also like an engaging hook for a recruiter? Yeah. So I,
0: I told you I probably read 10,000 resumes. Most of them had cover letters. I've read fewer than a hundred cover letters. Really? Yeah, because everybody writes, as you said, exactly, they write the exact same cover letter. They say, to whom it may concern, or dear Mr. Karsh, I am applying today for the job as the assistant account executive of Leo Burnett, which I saw posted on blah, 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 blah. As you can see from my attached resume, I went to Iowa State University. As you can see, I graduated with honors. As you can see, I had blah, 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 blah. So think about storytelling is a great way to talk about it. Think about storytelling as a tool for your cover letter. Your cover letter should be short. It should be interesting. Most of what I see are four page, uh, full page, four paragraphs, block type, single space It's just black. Make it 14 sentences long and tell a story. Maybe it's a story about how you got interested in the field. Maybe it's a story about why you'd be good at something in the field. Maybe it's a story about a unique experience that you had. So I helped someone write a resume cover letter. She was applying for a job in advertising. And again, in getting to know her and talk to her, her story came unfolded. And, And the first paragraph of her cover letter was two words. It just said baby food. And then the next paragraph said, yes, baby food got me interested in advertising. And then the third paragraph said, I was a sophomore taking my first campaigns class and we were studying gerber versus beach Night. i loved it i loved the creativity i loved the fact that every day was different and i love that you could fundamentally impact the way people behave from that point on i knew i had to work in advertising and everything i've done has led me to where i am now you know here's yeah. my information hope to talk to you soon
1: that's the way to do it yeah you know it's funny yeah. when you think about it because if you open your credit or your cover letter with i'm applying for this i saw this there that's like somebody walking behind you and narrating like your day coming into work. You know that they're applying for the job. You know they probably saw it on some job board. Like that provides no new information. It's just fluff.
0: Right. And, and again, imagine you have to go back to the mindset of the person reading. So reading hundreds, thousands of them. So if they all say the same thing, you throw them away. If you pick up something that says baby food, are you going to throw it away? No, you're no. gonna read it, right? You're yes. You have to read it. You're almost legally obligated to read it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you at least get a little. There were people that I interviewed with great cover letters but lousy resumes, right? So it's a it's a huge opportunity for people that often goes missed.
1: And you said there were people you interviewed that had lousy resumes but great cover yeah. letters. Interesting. So I read the
0: cover letter I'm like, "This is an awesome cover letter." I'm like, "Eh, the resume's so-so, but the cover letter's so good, I want to interview him and talk to them
1: more and get to know." Them. Interesting. And did you ever end up hiring somebody who was uh, that kind of a case?
0: Yeah, I did. So because there's tons of qualified people, it's just who's got that right connection, who's going to be the one that you pull out. And sometimes that can be enough to help you get the interview and then the
1: job. Interesting. Okay. So we got resumes, we got cover letters covered. Um, One of the things I see online all the time is these lists of the skills that employers are looking for in new graduates. And Technical capability is often like in the lower, like bottom around seven or eight or nine. What are the dip, like, type of skills that you as a recruiter were looking for uh, in graduates and was like technical ability really high on your list?
0: Personally, no, not for the positions I was hiring for because there wasn't a ton of technical ability. We were going to teach you stuff, Hmm. you know, engineering, computer, that sort of stuff, graphic design even. Yeah, there you, you need to have obviously a fair bit of technical knowledge. But for a lot of jobs, you know, consulting, for marketing, for advertising, and even for many, many others, general business management, They're going to teach you their way. So they want people who are hardworking, who have a great attitude, have the ability to work with others, strong leadership skills. Those kind of, if you call them soft skills, are really important.
1: Mm, Okay. Um, And I would guess that, like, independent ability to find solutions on your own is probably one of the biggest things that you're looking uh, into the pool of college-educated applicants for because they've sort of demonstrated a little bit of that ability just by graduating.
0: Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, independent thinking and work is is hugely important as well.
1: Yeah, when I was in high school, I I got a job at an insurance firm, and I realized now like I was kind of a bad employee because I was so scared of messing something up. I would constantly ask the boss like, "Is this how I do this? Is this how I do this?" And I I realized now I was probably creating more work for her than I actually did for her. And yeah. now I would prioritize that like in, insanely just the ability to find a solution on your own and execute it without bugging your boss over and over again is probably a big thing. It's a huge
0: thing. You know, and it's 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 a very millennial thing, you know, not just because of how millennials were raised. Millennials were raised with a lot more structure and with a lot more guidance. And they are, by definition, very goal oriented and people pleasing. So they'd be like, is this OK? Is this OK? And I bet your boss said, listen, I don't care. Tom's just figured it out
1: yeah <laughs> yeah right I, I actually remember that <laughs> and you know like you're i don't know at least for, in my case i was so afraid of making a mistake right but you do make mistakes and it's Everybody makes mistakes. yeah you just got to own up to it yeah so um those are some of the, the technical aspects how do students go about networking in person and meeting recruiters and what are some of the tips you have for that
0: yeah, networks really, networking is really important because most people, even students, get jobs through networking. doesn't mean somebody they know gives them a job. Mm. It means someone they know gives them the opportunity to get a job. Now is not the time to be shy. Go to your career center office. Find alums from your school that are working in industries that you want to work in. Call them up on the phone, shoot them an email, ask them if you could talk. You're not asking for a job. You're just asking if you can talk. Find out a little bit about what they do. Find out a little bit about their career path. And that's how connections get formed. So right. you go meet that alum. He might even be a year or two older than you. You go meet that alum. You chat. You grab lunch. He says, you know what? I kind of like this guy. And the next time there's an opening, HR is like, does anyone know anyone? And your buddy, you know, the person you just met said, yeah, I just met this college student. He seems fantastic we should talk to them. That's how, believe it or not, most people get jobs, right? There's some version of that.
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, on I saw on a website the other day, there's an ad It was like, learn how to tap the hidden job market. And it's kind of spun as like, ooh, there's like this secret cabal of people, like all the great jobs are up in the secret market and they're not on the job boards. But really, it's all about like perception, right? Because as, as a student, we think that the jobs are up on a board and they're just going to hire the best person possible. But as an employer, you realize we're busy. We don't know who to trust. We're probably going to go for people we know first, or people that we know uh, can find their connections and vet them. So that's so really the not, hidden market, right?
0: Right. That's exactly what they're talking about. So, <clears throat> told you I did recruiting. I told you we posted a job. We get five hundred resumes. I'd probably go through that stack of 500 and pull out four or five resumes, the best four or 500 out of there. Uh, four or five out of 500. Mm-hmm. Your odds aren't very good, right? One out of 100. Every time we had a job opening, I had a stack of 500 resumes, and then I also had another stack of 10 resumes. And these are resumes that have been sent to me by somebody, anybody at my company, from the CEO on down. it might say, hey, I just met this woman, Brittany. She seems really awesome. We should talk to her next time we have an opening. Or hey, my son is friends with this guy Thomas from Iowa State. Seems like a great guy looking for a job in advertising. I'm fraternity brothers with this per- whatever, right? Just a little note. And to exactly your point, because I knew them in some way, shape, or form, or someone at my company did, I'd probably go through that sack of ten and pull out five. I wouldn't pull out all of them, but I'd pull out five. And I always say to students, Do you want to be in the do you want to be five out of five hundred or do you want to be five out of ten? And networking, yeah. all networking is is getting you out of the stack of 500 and into the stack of
1: 10. I remember that part in your book, actually, really vividly. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, that that is the thing right there. And it makes sense. When uh, when somebody who I'm friends with online wants to meet somebody else, they'll ask me, can you introduce me, instead of just cold emailing them. Because it's a lot more successful. Like, oh, I'm getting an uh, uh, email from somebody I know, and it's awesome. And yeah. you're vetting that person. Yeah. So that's awesome. So um, one last question before... Start closing out. You talk in your book about thank you letters and the right way to do it. So, how do you properly thank an interviewer after you get done with an interview?
0: You want to make it interesting. You want to make it personal, kind of like a cover letter. Most people write the same thank you note. You know, hmm. dear Mr. Johnson, it was a pleasure meeting you today. The more I learned about the company, the more I seemed intrigued. Uh, I hope we have an opportunity to work again together. Thank you so much, Brad coach Make it a little longer, not crazy long, but it's always great if you can reference something. So, dear Mr. Johnson. I really enjoyed our talk today. I I, I found it fascinating to talk about the differences between, you know, civil engineering in England versus the United States. And it seems that there's some fundamental differences that are critically important. As you can see from, you know, I just want to reiterate that I'm. Very excited about the job. And given my background in X, Y, and Z, I think I'd be a perfect fit. I look forward to talking soon. So so reference something that you mentioned in the interview. Get it to Mm -hmm. them quickly. So I think you should email a thank you note within 24 hours or less of the interview because people make decisions quickly. And, And what you may have to do if you interview with three or four people, three or four different thank you notes to each one. Ideally referencing something you talked about in the interview.
1: Right. So you should probably either get a business card or immediately write down their names when you meet them. Because I've yeah. had friends where I'm like, so are you going to email out thank you notes? And they say, oh, I don't remember the names of the interviewers. You and absolutely It like,
0: Here's <laughs> what I do. I ask for their business card. Well, not that I do it because I'm not interviewing out of college mm-hmm. anymore. But I ask for their business card. When I'm walking to the next interview, I jot down a couple notes on the back of that card so I don't forget. Because if you interview with three or four people, you will think you will remember, but you'll forget. You'll be like, wait, who did I talk about that thing with? Jot down a couple notes. Helps you remember.
1: Short-term memory is bad. And what I found is interviewers don't mind if you take notes. They probably would think that's a good sign. Yeah. Right. I mean, you that, maybe not during point. the interview
0: itself, but between interviews, I think that's
1: cool. Right. And I think you might have mentioned sending thank you notes to like secretaries and gatekeepers and things like that as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you have the time or inclination, it's a great idea if you got to know somebody. So sometimes you'll show up and they're really late to get you. So you end up chatting with the receptionist for a half hour. Or sometimes there's somebody from the office who's the assistant to the person you're interviewing with who spends a lot of time like setting your travel up, setting your schedule. I always think it's a nice idea to send them a quick little note. Just say, hey, thanks for taking care of me or thanks for being so kind or, man, you, you booked me all that travel and it worked out perfectly. The hotel was beautiful. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. It's funny. One of the things I noticed, you know, you don't notice this in college because you get feedback on everything. But when you're in the working world, there's less positive feedback than you think that comes your way. It's either just normal, you know, like this is good you know, status quo's, you know, current, or something bad's happened. This is why you're getting an email. Most people don't get like you're doing awesome, you know, thank you so much. These kind of emails, and you're probably gonna make a connect or make an impression if you do that. Absolutely, absolutely, awesome. And you said to email your thank you notes, right? Do you prioritize the quickness of that over a handwritten note? Yeah, I do.
0: I like a handwritten note, but you know, it takes a couple days to get there, so I think an email's fine.
1: Okay, or you could possibly leave it with. Uh, the gatekeeper or secretary or something. Yeah. If you have time
0: to write one. Yeah.
1: Interesting. All right. Well, Hey, thank you so much for talking with me. This is awesome. And I think everyone should read confessions of a recruiting director. It's on my essential books list. Um, you have another book, which I haven't read yet. So if you want to talk a few minutes about that, I'm curious as to what that book's about.
0: Yeah. So confessions obviously is all about getting a job. The next book is about, I do a lot of work talking about millennials and helping millennials in the workplace. So the next book's about once you get the job, What are millennials going to be like as managers and how are they going to be different from other generations? So it's a a great toolkit for millennial managers on navigating that rocky road from being kind of an individual contributor to leading groups and teams.
1: Okay. And do you think this kind of a book would be useful to somebody who's not necessarily looking for management yet but wants to get that perspective?
0: I think so. So it would really be good for millennials at all levels. It's called Manager 3.0. Okay. A millennials' guide to rewriting the rules of management. So it's it's a pretty cool, fun read. It also gets a lot into the differences between the generations in the workplace, which mm. every generation finds fascinating because it is so different.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And I'll definitely look uh, link the book up in the show notes. One of the things I've noticed is that you have your specific job role that you're that you're trying to pursue, and you're going to impress a recruiter if you can fulfill that. But you're going to request uh, impress. Th- impress a recruiter if you also understand the nature of the business and some of the other aspects that are outside of your specific role, because then they know that you have the business in mind, not just your job.
0: Exactly. That's a great point.
1: Awesome. Well, hey, man, thank you so much again for coming on the uh, podcast.
0: No sweat. My pleasure. Good luck and thanks
1: a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Brad. Once again, I really highly recommend reading his book, Confessions of a Recruiting Director. It really helped me as a student. And also it's got example resumes and cover letters in the back of the book. So if you're looking for examples and something that you can go off of in writing your own, then that book is gonna be helpful for you in that regard as well. Also, if you've got questions about college, anything ranging from study tips to finding a job to paying off your debt, you can email those to me at thomas at collegeinfogeek.com. We'll get those answered on the show. And if you wanna find some of the best resources for being an awesome student and see the tools that I use in my own work, you can go to collegeinfogeek.com resources and find the tools that I recommend. Also, if you wanna to subscribe to the show, you'll get new episodes when they come out every single Monday and you'll also help bump the show up in the rankings on iTunes, and that is it for this week, so until next Monday's episode, stay cute.
0: Thanks for listening to the College Info Geek Podcast. Grow your brain even more at www.collegeinfogeek.com.